show where a kaiju veteran and a kaiju newbie watch giant monster movies and talk about them. <laughs> I'm Amanda. I'm Andrew. So, in the 60s, we're going to imagine that we're in the 60s right now. I can see it. Hippie, psychedelics, constant fear of nuclear attacks. Yeah. No, that sounds about right, actually. <laughs> uh, so, But we're talking 60s Japan. So, I don't, I don't know if there were hippies... I don't know anything about 60s Japan, so... Uh, I don't either. Enlighten me. I do know, however, there are two big kaiju film companies in the 60s. Toho? Toho, who made Godzilla, as we know, and... Oh, and, um, Ultraman. No. (laughs) Ultraman wasn't made by Toho, but it was made by someone from Toho. Or were you saying Ultraman was the other company? That's the other company, clearly. That's all that existed. I'm shaking my head. Um... No. The other film company, Ultraman was a TV show. The other film company was Daie, known worldwide for being the creators of Gamera. I've seen one of those. Gamera, the flying turtle, friend to all children, later on guardian of the universe. Gamera, guardian of the universe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That guy. So, obviously... We watched a Gamera movie this week. We watched Daimajin, which is not a Gamera movie. It was close. Uh, It was not even even a little bit close. That's the same thing. I guess there were some annoying kids. (laughs) That's a staple. I don't think there's any annoying kids. Maybe in your notes you will discover that you had some opinions about some kids early on in the movie. That one... There was the male child in this movie... Could not talk without shouting. I didn't write that in my notes. Okay. Well, I remembered it. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, we watched Daimajin. What does that stand for? Daimajin literally, not literally, but Daimajin translates to giant devil or giant devil god or giant Majin. Giant machine? No, not machine. Magine. Oh, okay. He's a god or a demon or a devil, and he's big. Yeah, that fits. He's also known as Arakatsuma. I don't remember if that's in this movie or in one of the later movies, but he is also known by that name. Is that just his, like, secret identity name? Yeah, it's what he calls himself before he jumps into a phone booth and turns into Daimajin. <laughs> no! <laughs> That's like the god's actual name, and Daimajin is, they're like, oh, he's a giant monster. He's a gi- he's a Daimajin. I have a name, you know. Yeah, Arakatsuma. <laughs> uh, so, Daimajin is a weird kaiju movie. I don't know if it's weird. I liked it a lot. I don't mean it's weird as in weird stuff happened. I mean that most kaiju movies are science fiction. Like, they're about nukes or mad scientists or aliens and this movie is about magic yeah it's about magic (laughs) or i guess more religion sure it's about spirituality and it's about samurai getting your comeuppance samurai getting their comeuppance (laughs) um it's my favorite type of story yeah it's basically a revenge movie except the revenge is not dealt out by the heroes. The heroes. It's dealt out by Daimajin. But we'll get into that. Yes, exactly. 
So which version did we watch? We watched the Mill Creek Blu-ray and we watched it subtitled. I don't know if I have access to anything dubbed. I don't know if there are any dubs for this movie. This movie was made in 1966 and I bring up 1966 because that is the year of what is like it's at the center of what is known as the kaiju boom every film company i said there were only two big kaiju film companies but in 1966 every japanese film company every major japanese film company made a giant monster movie so 1966 you have daimajin you have Gamera versus Barugon, which is the second Gamera movie. Is it pronounced Barugon? I emphasize the ooh because there's a Godzilla monster that's name is almost exactly the same. Oh, I thought we were talking about Barugon. Nope. Ultraman began airing in 1966. Hey, I called it. In a part that we cut out. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Alternate timelines. I'm, I'm keeping that. <laughs> Uh, War of the Gargantuas was released that year. Is that the British movie? No. <laughs> <laughs> My kaiju lore. <laughs> it fails me. Return of Daimajin was released the same year. That's the sequel to this movie. Daimajin Strikes Again, which is the third movie in the trilogy, was also released that year. Did they just film them all back to back and then kind of cut them up and release them? Let me finish my list real fast and then I will tell you. Ebira Horror of the Deep, which is a Godzilla movie, also came out that year. And then 1967 is actually what I was thinking of, where every other company made stuff. But 1966 and 1967 are together, that that boom that I was talking about. Mm -hmm. Look. I bet you were the expert. I'm not perfect. (laughs) Uh... What did I tell you that I was going to come back to? (laughs) How they filmed the three movies so quickly? Yeah, so it's three movies all in the same year. I can't find anything that says exactly how they did it. I assume they filmed them all back to back because they're all samurai movies. But I don't know. Are they the same actors and same characters? I don't recall. I don't think so. They're not the same characters for sure. But I don't recall if they are the same actors. I don't think they are. Man, my Wikipedia man is failing me. Look, <laughs> I'm, this isn't an episode about the other two movies. <laughs> okay, so let's get back to this movie. So, yeah, this movie came out. There was a big, there was a ton of kaiju movies going on, is what I'm saying. And this movie competed with all of them, including its two sequels. <laughs> it competed with its own sequels? Kinda. I don't know. Maybe not. Uh, I have no idea how well this movie did. In theaters couldn't find any numbers about that but i'm assuming it did all right because it's a very good movie it's a very high quality movie yeah yeah we'll talk about why that might be the case later on but in general it's a very good movie so i've blabbed about the big you know pre-movie stuff what did you think of the movie i really like this one and i feel a little heretical in saying that i think this is my favorite one so far and I know that that also includes Godzilla 1954, but I really like a good samurai movie. Yeah, and this is a lot less existentially depressing than <laughs> 1954 was. Plus, who doesn't love a good revenge story? I mean, Taken, um, what's the one with Liam Neeson and the dog? Not Liam Neeson. What's the one with Keanu Reeves and the dog? Uh, John Wick. <laughs> exactly. I mean, 
Revenge stories are just classic. I I mean, I'm not going to say this is one of my favorite movies that we've watched so far, but I will say it might be my favorite Daae movie. Like, it might be, I definitely like it more than any of the old Gamera movies. Better than the Gamera trilogy? Those are technically not from Daae because Daae went bankrupt before those were put out. I feel lied to right now. So I'm not counting those. My only knowledge of Gamera isn't even true. I know. This is, yes. But because I love this movie so much and the Gamera movies tend to be very cheap and schlocky, uh, I wanted your first exposure to this company to be Daimajin. Well, two things I do know about Gamera is they've had a lot of MST3K episodes about Gamera movies. Yes. And they're known for stock footage. Yes. You know things about Gamera. <laughs> that, that was a high five. <laughs> okay. So we begin in a dark and storm. I don't remember how the movie starts. <laughs> well, it starts with actually some pretty good music, which should sound familiar. It sounds a lot like Godzilla to me. There's a good reason for that. Uh, the music in this movie is by Akira Ofukube of... Godzilla fame. Did he jump ship? I couldn't find any information about him working with Dae. Like, I couldn't find anyone talking about him working with Dae. He definitely did. He worked on this movie. But I don't know what the situation is. I don't know if he left Toho and worked with Dae for a bit, or if he was just lent out to Dae by Toho. Marital issues. (laughs) If maybe... I don't even know if composers in Japan are always tied to a specific company. He may have just composed for whoever. But the music in this movie, because it's a Ifukube soundtrack, I think that is a big part of what like boosts this movie up, in my opinion. It's so good. The music definitely added to the mood and the tension of the movie really well. Yeah. It's just a reminder of how... How masterful he is. Uh, if you know, by the way, any uh, there are a few mysteries in this episode that I couldn't find information about, such as why did Akira Kube work on this movie? If you know the answer, please let us know, because I am very curious. So, close your eyes. Now, go back to feudal Japan. Men shaved the top of their heads, but kept their ponytails. Yeah, that's a thing. Women blacked out their teeth. Oh, God. Yeah. I don't think all women, but yeah. At least Some women did. At least one. <laughs> now go back to this time period, and that's where we start off with Daimajin. Perfect. We start off with a family in a wooden shack of some kind, and we hear a bang. And they say, oh, it's footsteps. It's the Majin monster. They tell the story of a monster who's trapped in a mountain and trying to get out, and they start... And they need to start the prayer festival to try and keep him contained. We next see a lord in his castle. He's telling his son that the mountain god will protect them. Yep. And he, oh, he they're definitely going to be protected. Nothing, <laughs> nothing will, bad will happen here. It is a revenge movie. You have to start out with bad things. Everything going bad. <laughs> the lord's wife, the lady of the castle, gives her daughter kozasa a charm to protect her when she's afraid it's this little bundle of cloth with two bells at the end yeah looks kind of like a finger trap it does (laughs) or like a chinese sausage yeah just a little like vienna sausage or a cat toy or a cat toy 
Oh, it'd be a really good cat toy. <laughs> At the same time, the scene cuts over to the image of a giant foot footprint. Mm-hmm. That's probably about the length of a man lying down. Sure. A good distance to keep between two people during a COVID pandemic. So remember, <laughs> stay a Daimajin footprint away. Which is going to be over by the time this airs, right? I can only hope. <laughs> the villagers are having their prayer festival. There's a woman with a... Is it Shinto headpiece? Yeah. With these paper charms hanging down yeah definitely and she is chanting there's people dancing with fire dressed in these elaborate costumes with masks and these straw outfits and the lord sends out his followers odate samonosuke and inogami gunjiro to represent the palace as emissaries during this festival immediately after samonosuke leaves the room he turns to gunjiro and says This is a great timing for a coup. Yeah. Doesn't even wait to be out of the building. So subtle. (laughs) So subtle. (laughs) Not even like a little like finger on the nose thing. Just. No. (laughs) So Lord Samonosuke, or I guess he's not a lord yet. Spoilers. Lord Samonosuke is what he will be in the future. Was, is the first actor that I want to talk about just very briefly. And as I talk about these actors, I want you to see if you can find a theme. Ryutaro Gomi played Lord Semenosuke, and he is best known for acting in the Zatoichi samurai films. They're all from samurai films. Well, we'll see. We'll see. That's probably a good guess. <laughs> I don't have anything on Gunjiro. And I don't think even the movie cares that much about him because they kept saying his name wrong. (laughs) Bunjiro. It was Bunjiro, and then there was a third name that the subtitles gave him later in the movie. It's like, you can't get the character's name right? (laughs) Really? That's the only part you don't have to translate. So stupid. (laughs) So later, Lord Hanabusa, the samurai who's the lord of this castle, is exiting the room. He had already sent his children off to bed with Kogenta, who's their Manny, Secret Service agent, <laughs> something like that. Something like that, yeah. Handler. He, he protects them. Kogenta is played by one Jun Fujimaki, and he is an actor best known for... Seven Samurai. Well, no, but Samurai movies, yeah. <laughs> he was a pretty regular actor for Samurai movies. Was he in Yojimbo? No. Those are the only samurai movies I know. I know. Those are both Toho samurai movies. What, really? Yeah. I didn't know those were Toho. Uh, I'm not positive about Yojimbo, but Seven Samurai is a Toho movie. I feel like I only have this very narrow look into (laughs) Japanese film history. Yeah. Uh, And it's through my eyes. (laughs) I was going to say, I wonder why that is. No, he, he was a Daie samurai movie actor and i would say that in general dai was best known for samurai movies or at least better known for samurai movies than kaiju movies i can see it they did a very good job with this one i think they did fantastic with the setting and with the costumes and just the whole feel of it it was very unhokey you could tell that they were practiced at making samurai movies except for samonosuke's bald cap 
Yeah. It was not applied well. Yeah. It was very lumpy and not the same color as the rest of his head. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, while we're talking about samurai movies, I was going to bring this up later, but I might as well bring it up now. The director of this movie is one Kimiyoshi Yasuda, who is most famous for directing six Zatoichi films. Uh, Zatoichi are, is a very famous series of... Samurai. Samurai movies, yes. I'm getting better at this. Zatoichi is a blind swordsman, and he travels around and does cool things. Why have you not shown this to me? I've never seen him. Why have you not shown this to me? I haven't seen him. I don't have them. Find them. All right. And the writer for this movie, Tetsuro Yoshida, wrote for a lot of Kumiyoshi Yasuda's movies. So... They're a pair. They usually do samurai movies. It's a samurai movie that has a kaiju in it. Most of the actors are all samurai actors. We're going to keep hearing this come up a lot. I mean, it really was a samurai movie, so this isn't really a stretch for them. No. So as Lord Hanabusa is exiting the room, Samanosuke and Gunjiro have gathered their men to overthrow Lord Hanabusa and take over Yamanaka Castle. One of the followers of Lord Hanabusa does some nice exposition for us. He says, Lord Hanabusa took you in when you were just a wanderer. How could you do this? And then, as I have here, fighting ensues. Fighting ensues. <laughs> Kojenta hurries to the children's room to defend them from a group of the cooers. <laughs> cooers gonna coo. <laughs> um, from the rebels? From the insurgents? Whatever floats your boat. I like cooers better. Yeah. that's a, Those are pigeons. <laughs> pigeons are cooers. <laughs> cooers are also cooers. I guess that's true. <laughs> Pass me that cooers. <laughs> so Kogenta single-handedly holds off a group of the cooers. Yeah. He's awesome. <laughs> he is joined later by some other people who help back him up, but he mostly fights them off single-handedly while carrying the younger sister on his back. Yeah. Kozasa. Yeah. <clears throat> During the fighting, Kogenta escapes with the children to the stable, where they run into some other of Lord Hanabusa's followers who tell them that Lord Hanabusa did not make it. Yeah. Samanosuke's men track them down to the to the stable and they set it on fire to try to smoke them out. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hanabusa's men offer to stay behind to fight and give Yojenta an opening to escape with the children. They say, if we're still alive, we'll meet up in 10 years to take back the castle. I wonder when the time skip's going to be. Yeah, it's such a specific number of years. And also, it's like, I've never heard of that for revenge. I've always, it's always to me like, if we are still... Uh, what is it? If we're still both single in 10 years, let's get married. <laughs> Except it's that, but for revenge. I actually had that with my friend in high school. That's awesome. <laughs> Obviously, it didn't work out. But... Yes, that's awesome, though. But yeah, they just are planning to endure, I guess, just be miserable for 10 years. I don't know why <laughs> they didn't plan for a sooner date. but Two years, a month. <laughs> So they run out and are fighting with Samanosuke's men when you see a horse run off with a bundle on its back. And then Kogenta is running off with Kozasa on his back and holding the hand of the young lord, who you don't get his name for a while. Yeah, but he had like set up this horse as a... Tadafumi is the name of the young lord. 
but I thought this was super clever. It is. It's awesome. He might have wanted a horse, but I mean, if you're not going to get out, you're not going to need a horse. And also if they're trying to avoid attention. That's true. Meanwhile, Samanosuke sends out his men to announce the change in leadership and to send the villagers home from their ritual. The priestess, Shinobu, refuses to stop the ritual, saying that it's protecting them from the Majin, but the rest they scare off with swords and horses. Priestess Shinobu is the coolest character in the movie. She's the best part of the movie, for sure. But she is played by Otome Tsukimiya. Otome Tsukimiya is not i don't think she is a like a samurai movie staple she might be and i just am not familiar with the movies that she's in but she's most famous for the movie kwaidan that doesn't mean anything to me what you don't know kwaidan <laughs> no kwaidan is a movie that is a bunch of japanese folk tales like it's a bunch of shorter stories. I think it's six shorter stories that are Japanese folk tales or horror stories or things like that, all like threaded together into one. I could see her fitting into that. Yeah, I am. I have not seen quite on, but I imagine that she does very well in it. From what I've seen here, she is just the coolest character. She has this inner strength. No matter what people are doing to her, she doesn't really react. She's just. Kind of stares them down, almost like a disapproving mother. She's got a strong force of personality. By far my favorite character. Yeah, she's awesome. When Gunjiro reports back to Samonosuke that the kids escaped with Kogenta, Samonosuke sends him off to find them. Kogenta and the kids show up at the priestess's home, and she hides them right before Gunjiro and his men show up to search her house. And she just straight up tells them to take off their shoes before they search her house. She does. They don't, but she... Like, she does not care. She reminds me of, there was a list, there's a list I read once of the most badass lines, bad patootie lines in history, like last words a person said. And one of them was a man who was being stoned to death. They were putting stones on him until he was crushed. And his last thing he said before dying was, more stones. That's totally her. Yeah, it definitely fits her personality. And they don't find any of the people hiding there. And she tells them that they'll regret disturbing the spirits. Gunjiro threatens her that if she's hiding them, she's going to pay for it. And then one of his men comes up and tells them that and tells them that they were spotted heading west. After the men run off, the priestess leads Kogenta and the kids to the Majin Mountain. They say that no one's allowed on, sacred, on the Sacred Mountain. They say that no one's allowed on the Sacred Mountain, but they don't have anywhere else to go. And they're going to go ask the god for help. We see the statue of a samurai behind a waterfall. And this is just a very cool scene that we get to see a lot. Yeah. The statue is an important one, as we'll see. And I want one. <laughs> I want just a, like a, a statuette of it so bad. That would be cool. Because he's so cool. It's like, it's a very rough stone sculpture. I was surprised how little details in the face yeah it's trying to be very minimal it's trying to look like an actual shinto sculpture i think and it's just cool well the thing was the armor was very detailed just yeah. the face was very minimal yeah is that like a style of sculpture if it is i don't know it and the priestess tells them that the majin is trapped under the statue so that's the thing that really confused me about the movie they refer to the majin and the god a lot Kind of like they're the same thing, 
but they say that the statue is the god that's protecting people from the Majin and keeping it trapped in the mountain. But it seems like they're not really differentiating between the two very much. Right. Uh, I believe that the Majin, I believe, they don't lay this out perfectly clear. You're right. It's it's pretty unclear. But my understanding is that the Majin is the, the wrathful side of this god. Uh, or it could also be that the Majin is a monster that the god defeated and is like holding back with his power or whatever. Both of those are possible, but I've always thought, I've always believed that it is, they're the same creature. And I mean, that doesn't, none of that really fits with what happens at the end of the movie. And we'll come back to this, but that's just the thing that will really confuse me in the movie. Didn't take away from my enjoyment of the movie. I just kind of chalked it up to translation or just a concept that we're not as familiar with being from a... yeah. 2021 well, American it, society. Exactly. It could be a Japanese spiritualist sort of concept. Yeah. The priestess tells them as she leads them into a cave that it's said that God lived here a long time ago. She tells them to hide in this cave and pray and she will bring them everything they need. So this is a thing that I've been confused by in a lot of Japanese media. Subtitles will, they'll be referring to a God, like one of many. And the subtitles will capitalize it and make it sound like it's the god and i don't know if that is a translation thing to make it okay for our cool western brains or uh i have a feeling depending when this was translated if this was translated a long time like 10 20 30 years ago i can see this being to protect the western sensibilities yeah from that culture yeah, yeah. or is that just how they refer to him? Or is my question even, a, like, is it possibly a really stupid question? I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's they're trying to hide Japanese culture from us in some way or if they're trying to... Well, I don't think if, it's a stupid question because I feel like singular and plural is a thing that they should be able to differentiate. Yeah. So I'm very confused by that. I've always been confused by that. So again, if any of our audience <laughs> knows the answer, please contact us. Help us help you. <laughs> exactly. We're on Twitter at Island Kaiju. And our email is kaijuislandpodcast at gmail.com. Don't worry. Like usual, we'll repeat that at the end of the episode. Absolutely. Cut to 10 years later. Surprise, surprise. Shock. <laughs> Ten years later, we come onto a scene of Kozasa singing and combing her hair, and uh, behind her... Monkeys! ...are a bunch of monkeys. You saw them, I didn't. Well, there was like two monkeys. Yeah. They're the they're the kind of monkeys that you see in like... Hot springs. Hot springs, yeah. I don't know what those are, but yes. Uh, she still has her charm. We, we see that. They zoom in on it, on her hip. They zoom in on it, on her... Uh, cat toy. Tarafumi and Kagenta return from hunting. They're all adults now, or at least the two children are. And Kozasa has perfect makeup. Perfect makeup, perfect hair. I don't know who prioritizes bringing makeup as necessities when you're hiding out in a cave with your brother and Manny. They, Manny. 
<laughs> they obviously made the makeup out of their natural environment. Duh. They made eyeliner out of squirrels. And... <laughs> squirrels. Where's the black from? There's an old video game that you can make ink out of squirrels and it just is a nonsensical thing. That's all. Oh, I don't remember. I don't know. I don't remember what video game. It's just of an old video game, like an old point and click adventure. One thing I have learned about Andrew is he often references things he doesn't remember what he's referencing anymore. Yes. And now I reference those things that I don't know what he's referencing and he doesn't know what he's referencing. You never knew what they were. <laughs> so, Kozasa Hanabusa is played by Miwa Takata. Miwa Takata starred in a ton of classic movies. In- Seven Samurai. Why would you get Seven Samurai and not Zatoichi, which... I forgot the name. Okay. She's from the Zatoichi series, which the director did and the writer and the actor for Lord Samanosuke. And... I mean, she was fine. The most important thing she did was cry. Yeah, but she cried effectively. <laughs> it got stuff done. I didn't dislike her. She's just very of her time. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. And that's not her fault. No. She she put in work. The actress. The character didn't. No. Um, Tadafumi Hanabusa, her brother, uh, is played by Yoshihiko Ayama. Uh, who is another Zatoichi actor. So the thing that got me is Tadafumi's hair looks like it was flat ironed. Like he has the perfect bangs and his hair is perfectly straight and pulled back into this neat ponytail. And then Kogenda's hair looks like he's been getting a noogie every night before bed and doesn't own a comb. Yeah, Kogenta looks like he's been at war nonstop for the past 30 years. He looks so harried and tired and dirty. How can I explain this? He looks like he has a puffball on his head with a ponytail coming out the back of it. Yeah, he does. That's a good (laughs) way to describe it. So Tadafumi and Kogenta return from their hunting. We then see that the villagers of around the old, around Yamanaka Castle are being forced to build something. We later hear that it's a gate. But they're being forced by Lord Samanosuke and his goons to to build this gate. It was very much a scene out of Prince of Egypt. Everyone is just constantly being whipped. Yeah. And if you collapse, you're just supposed to leave them there and they'll beat you until you stand back up again. There is, in fact, a guy who did exactly what you just <laughs> said happens. He collapses. People are like, leave him alone. He'll be dead. And a guy that we later learn is named Motsuki comes over and uh, is told, take him to the infirmary. Because I guess they had a change of heart. They don't want him to die, I guess. Uh, Matsuki's son, whose name is Take, comes running over saying, Mom's dying! Wah, wah! Wow. Well, I don't know. Take doesn't have much to do in this movie other than be... A little annoying all the time. I think it's a theme in diet. I movies. think you're allowed to be annoying if your mom is dying. Yeah, it's fair. And your dad is just ignoring it. I apologize, Taka. He didn't ignore it. He was under threat of injury or death if he left. I like Taka. Taka is It cool. seems like you think he's annoying. I just... He mostly gets in the way. 
I don't think he's that annoying. There's way worse. His mom is dying and his dad is in a labor camp. All right. All right. I, I'm now a Take apologist. <laughs> he, did, he didn't do anything wrong. Matsuki can't go with his son like we implied. They say take him to the infirmary and then come back, basically. An older man uh, grabs Take and is like, you can't, you can't come here and talk to your dad in the middle of this awful situation. You, wait till the gate is done and then you can talk to your dad. And Take's like, my mom, though. Um, and the old man is like, I know things are bad, but you, <laughs> poor Take, what did he do to deserve your ire? Yeah, I don't, I don't really dislike Take. I just, you know, sometimes you gotta have an opinion about things. And this is the opinion I've decided You've to have. you decided to hate on children whose parents are dying or in forced labor? Well, the older man says that the mountain god is going to protect Take. So I think he will end up fine. Uh, the Hanabusa guards, who we saw earlier in the the before times, uh, they have apparently been trapped somewhere because we hear that they've escaped. Ten years right on the dot. Exactly. They've been counting the days on the walls of their cell. They're running, running, running. They hide and they duck into a building that happens to be the infirmary. And uh, Motsuki helps them escape by tying a rope around a pole and then they, you know, the other end out the window and then the two guards, the two Hanabusa men climb out the window. Some bad guards come in and they are like, where did they go? And they see the rope. They see the (laughs) rope. (laughs) It wasn't a good plan as far as hiding them, but it did get the the two guys out. So I guess it worked. But then they're more focused on punishing the people who let them escape than going after the people who escaped. Yeah, because they look out the window and they see the two guys running. And why didn't you just go chase them? But instead... Because Matsuki's not going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So instead, the guy that Motsuki helped is like, it was me. I was the one who let them out. And the guard just like kills him in Matsuki's arms. The thing that I did like that they did is when the guy initially collapses and Motsuki's trying to help him, the guards say, leave him alone. He's going to die soon anyway. And then right after the guards kill him, uh, Matsuki says, why did you do that? And he says... Well, I was going to die soon anyway. And it's just such a good callback, even though it was only a couple minutes later. I really yeah. liked that kind of full circle, even within a little, a few minutes. Yeah. It was a full character story. And that guard was right. <laughs> he, he will die soon anyway. He's a fortune teller. Is it a fortune teller if you're the one who makes it come true? Yeah, it means you're a good fortune teller. <laughs> you know what will happen. We go back to the cave and the priestess is telling Tadafumi and Kozasa that the villagers have been enslaved. They didn't know this for the last 10 years. They've been hiding. What else do you do in hiding other than talk? I know. It's very weird. Just exposition. That's all we can put it down to. King Crimson used his power and deleted 10 years of time. They didn't experience anything in between those 10 years. It's a Jojo reference. She tells Tadafumi that Samonosuke is wanting to take over the capital. They're taking all the crops and there's a housing shortage for the people of 
around Yamanaka Castle. Basically, villainy established. Yes. We know why we should hate them. Tadafumi and Kogenta obviously want to go kill Somonosuke, and the priestess tells them she has heard rumors of some villagers who feel the same way and who might support them in their cause. I would feel like all the villagers would feel this way. Yeah, I don't know why it's only some. But Kogenta's plan is that he wants to go meet with the villagers and make sure that everything's in place so that Tadafumi and Kozasa aren't put at risk. He wants to kind of scope it out first. And the priestess says that the god of the mountain is mad at what Samonosuke is doing, that his evil will not stand. Yeah, and I think there's very good reason for the mountain god to be mad about it. So back at Yamanaka Castle, Gunjira tells Samonosuke that the opposition is growing, and Samonosuke says yes, and Tadafumi will be 18 this year. His power will be at its highest peak. (laughs) He doesn't say that. I don't know about that. I think it's more about he's old enough to claim lordship. Sure. That's why exactly 10 years. That makes sense. That makes sense. (laughs) We figured it out. Don't worry, guys. We got it. (laughs) We're experts. So Somonosuke tells one of the women nearby to go help Gunjiro. I don't know what she's going to do. Does he tell one of the women nearby? Yeah. I don't remember that. I assume you're right, but I just... That is weird. (laughs) There's clearly no women who are trained fighters at all in this region. Yeah. I don't know why he's telling her to help him. With what? On his way into town, Kogenta gets stopped by some guards, and they search him down, but they don't find any weapons. He tells them that he's bringing a fowl to Samonosuke as an offering, and they're about to let him leave just taking his fowl because they're bullies. Again, villainy established. Yeah. When he runs into Gunjiro, who's just coming up to the group, and Gunjiro immediately recognizes him. And so he knows that Tadafumi has to be nearby. Kogenta fights his way out, but he gets shot in the leg. They chase him through the construction site, and Motsuki and some other group were trying to lift this giant rock or stone of some kind with a rope on a pulley. And right after Kogenta runs by under the pulley system, they, I don't know if it's on purpose or on accident, but they drop their load right between Kogenta and the guards who are chasing him. Right. I like to think that it was on purpose. They were helping out. Yeah, but it was really unclear because yeah. they, they looked surprised by it. So I don't know yeah. if they were surprised by seeing Kogenta or if they were surprised that they dropped it or both. Who knows? It was unclear. Unimportant. And also very <laughs> unimportant, yes. Because the guards then turn on Motsuki and the others and um, tie them up just as the rest of the guards are catching up with Kogenta. As they're taking Motsuki off, Take comes running up and says, Mom died, and oh my gosh, my heart. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Take is just here to make us feel sad at pretty much any point. I feel like this movie is 90% how evil can we make this man, and Uh 10% payoff. Yes. (laughs) I mean, that's. I think that's a good revenge movie structure. I don't know. Like, Taken and John Wick were the opposite. It's 10% villainy. 90% 90% revenge story. That's true. That's a good point. Meanwhile, Tadafumi and Kozasa are talking back at the cave, and they agreed that Kogenta is taking too long. This will be important later. <laughs> <laughs> Gunjiro is torturing Kogenta 
for the location of Tadafumi and Kozasa using glowing hot swords that have been placed in the coals. Right. So Monosuke comes in and says, it doesn't matter, we're going to find them anyway. Mm-hmm. And then Kogenta passed out. Yeah. After giving him a nice, like, burn mark on his face. Those burns were very bad. They're not good. It looked like just a, bun- a rolled up bundle that somebody, like, glued on top of him. It's just, yeah. There's no, it's, it's like a small mountain range on his, on his skin. <laughs> so, Take runs to the priestess. We see the priestess, like, hanging out at home. And she hears a sound. And she goes outside and she sees Take coming out of the, the bush. And Take is saying that he wants to go to the mountain god to save his father. And she, through the conversation with Take, she learns that someone... Samanosuke has trapped Kogenta and that Kogenta is currently hanging upside down by his feet in front of the the gates and will kill anyone who comes to try and save him. Definitely not a trap. Nope, no trap at all. She also tells Take that he cannot go up onto this mountain because it's cursed. But that the god would hear him if you prayed. Exactly. Tadafumi was also in the bushes. Don't know why everyone was in the bushes tonight. But Tadafumi overheard this conversation and decides that he's going to go rescue Kogenta. Take says, all right, when she tells him that he can't go up the mountain. He's like, fine. And then he leaves and then sneaks up to the mountain anyway. So I really like this scene. Mm -hmm. It's very cleverly done. It is. It's just a scene of a boy who's afraid of the dark. So we're kind of seeing... All the conclusions his mind is jumping to as he wanders through this mountain that he's been told is cursed. Yeah. So, yeah, he's just seeing things as he's walking through the forest. I don't know if this is to show that it actually is cursed or if he is just seeing things. No, he's absolutely just seeing things because he gets grabbed by a really, you know, like a fake skeleton hand. Mm -hmm. And then as he runs away, he looks back and it's a branch. Yeah. Or... He runs into a tree and he looks up and it's the effigy that was burning uh, during the ritual earlier for Daimajin. So it's just basically images of things that scare him. Skeleton hands, the the thing that he thinks is creepy, which is this burning doll made of straw. It's just very clearly pulled straight from his imagination. Definitely. He makes his way, uh, he finds his way up the mountain and finds... A cave and meets Kozasa, the princess, or whatever. Kozasa. Uh, He thinks she's a god at first because she's like behind a... She's where the god lives. Well, yeah, she's where the god lives, but he also can't see her immediately because she's behind some like hanging silk or something. And so he's like, starts praying to her. And she's like, why would you be praying to me? (laughs) He's like, oh, you're a person. And he's asks her why she's there and she doesn't answer and then he's like oh you're also looking for help from god and she's like yeah i am i feel like the women in this movie are seen as otherworldly you have the priestess who's kind of beyond fear and beyond mortal worries when she's threatened or when people are doing horrible things she just kind of stares them down and warns them that their actions are going to come back to haunt them 
And then you have Kozasa, who's honestly kind of the the embodiment of the young maid. She's 100% pure, 100% innocent. Yeah. She is the person that they hold up on a pedestal as this image of perfection. She always has perfect makeup and hair. I feel like the men get to be humans in this. You see Kogenta with his messed up hair, and you see all the men get hurt and beat down, and they have positive and negative qualities. All the good men do. All the bad men are just negative. Sure. But the women seem like they're almost spiritual creatures in this movie, which does show the movie's age. Sure. But it's also... I do appreciate that they have the priestess in comparison to Kozasa, where you get to see female strength as well as female purity. Yeah. Those are all fantastic points. Uh, Now, what I thought you were going to say is that all the women in this movie are just done putting up with all the men in this movie. Which I think is also true. <laughs> I don't know. Because also just kind of goes along with things. She does. She doesn't really protest that Tadafumi wants to go off after Kogenta, even though they agreed that they would wait. Yeah. She doesn't really do anything other than pray. Yeah. And cry. Yeah. No, your point was a lot more uh, intelligent and <laughs> well-made. So we also see Tadafumi sneaking in through the village to try and get to Kogenta. And he, like, knocks over some boxes, and the guards are like, who's there? And he manages to sneak away. And he keeps, like, zooming in on other objects. I was just gonna say that, like, he's about to knock into something else. Yeah, it just looks like he's constant. I keep expecting him to just be this huge klutz and just constantly be knocking things over, but it's not that kind of movie. But, I mean, it's kind of like... Chekhov's box they keep zooming in like this is going to be important in yeah. a second and then it's not yeah it's definitely there to uh make you feel the tension yeah and they they're clearly doing this on purpose it's yes. like a, a known film technique yeah that they're kind of playing with which i i appreciate and at the same time i hated it yep i agree tadafumi manages to sneak in at the changing of the guard he sneaks over to where kogenta's hung up and starts lowering him down. And um, we do see Gunjiro looking down at him, yeah. very clearly watching this happen and not doing anything. Yeah, they're all watching, and it's it's not nearly as sneaky as Tadafumi thinks he is. <laughs> and Gunjiro shows up and says, "We're all we're just gonna kill you tomorrow." How's that sound? <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's 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 where. We last see Tadafumi for a few minutes. A few minutes. Kazasa tells Priestess Shinobu that Tadafumi went to the village. And the priestess says that she is going to go talk to Samanosuke and get this all sorted out. The next scene we see Samanosuke shooting a gun out a window. For no reason. <laughs> I feel like he's just testing out his new gun. It's, I... it's like... New technology. They want to A, show us that they have guns. Sure. And B, they need a reason for him to, like, be holding it. I guess. I think that he's just trying to look scary and impressive to her. I mean, that's probably true. He's 
basically a fake lord, so he has to use whatever he can to make himself feel validated. Yeah. The priestess tells him that his greed is making the god suffer and that he won't allow it. Simonosuke tells her that he knows she's just trying to save Kogenta and Tadafumi, but she says she will summon the god and bring his wrath down on Simonosuke. Yeah. Simonosuke, it, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I think that it is an important thing to note. They don't really talk about it in this movie, but in later movies, it is very clear that Daimajin or Arakatsuma, whatever you want to call him, he is a god of wrath and vengeance. So she knows what she's talking about. But he says to her, well, you can't summon him if I just kill you. And she does not seem perturbed by that at all. No, she like holds her arm up like to hide a little bit, but she doesn't seem worried. More angry. And she just stares him down. He raises his gun up. And that's where she kind of flinches a little bit. But she just stares him down. And he pulls the trigger. And nothing happens. Because we just saw him shoot the gun. And I believe this is a time they don't have multiple shots. No, they certainly don't. They probably had to reload by, you know, putting the gunpowder and the bullet down the front of the muzzle. Exactly. He tells... The priestess that he's going to break the statue to basically demoralize the town and take away their fighting spirit. And then he slashes her with his sword. And a really cool detail you see is her necklace breaks. Yeah. You know that the sword got to her. And then we get this really cool lighting shift. Mm-hmm. You go from being just in a normal lit room to suddenly the background is black and it just zooms in on the priestess's face and it's very sinister looking and she starts casting a spell or curse of some kind saying the daimajin will appear if he messes with the god and then he slashes her again with the sword and kills her and then the lighting just switches back well he actually slashes her and quote-unquote kills her like three or four times doesn't she or doesn't he? Yeah, he he keeps slashing her and she keeps looking back up at him, holding her incense and pointing it at him. Yeah. Like directing this curse at him and just not letting him get away with her lowering her eyes, just very staring him down and making him really face what he's doing. Yeah. It's awesome. I love the priestess. It's so it's such a good scene. I It might be my favorite scene in the movie. Oh, it's absolutely top two for me. Yeah. Uh, No, you're right. We'll get to the best scene. You're right. But the lighting trick was just very good. I really appreciated that really, I would say subtle. It was a subtle mood shift because the lighting effect wasn't as dramatic as I'm making it sound. But. Yeah, it's our first sense that supernatural stuff is real in this movie. I guess maybe you could say Take running through the forest and seeing skeleton hand. The footprint. Or I guess the footprint. The giant footprint. Look, maybe it was a bad point. (laughs) But we do definitely get to see that there's something. She has a power that she's not just a normal priestess. Um, There's she's connected to something powerful. And it's so cool. It just 
she doesn't die for so long. And she maintains her strength the whole time. Yeah, even in the last moment. So after she dies, Samonosuke turns to his cronies, including Gunjiro, and is basically like, go destroy the, the statue. And his cronies all look at each other like, really? Like, <laughs> we don't want to... I didn't really notice we, that. We just saw... You saw what she did, right? <laughs> they're, they're both, like, freaked out about it. I would be, too. Yeah. And Samonosuke's like, no, I got this. <laughs> Go destroy the statue. It's very good. But we... Take and Kozasa are in the woods around the cave when they see some of Samonosuke's guards go by on their way to destroy the statue, and they start following them. The guards get lost, of course. Yeah. And I have a feeling that this is the curse of the mountain. If the god doesn't want you to find him, he won't. I was just about to guess that because Take found his way mm-hmm. to the mountain. Yeah. They spot Kozasa or they get they start getting close to Kozasa and Take where they're hiding. And as they make a run for it or as they leave the area, Kozasa accidentally drops the charm that her mother had given her when she was a small child as they go to hide in the woods from the guards. The guards are walking past when one of them looks down and steps on the bell on the charm and you hear it jingle. So they know that somebody's around. And Gunjiro makes the connection that this is clearly not somebody from the village. This is clearly not something that a commoner would wear. Yeah. He's a pretty smart goon. Like, for a guy who just does a lot of gooning for the villain... He's pretty clever. I mean, he's the one who set up the whole trap of catching Tadafumi or anyone else who'd come back after Kogenta. And he obviously was going after Tadafumi. So his trap did work. Yeah. He's a smart dude. The guards easily capture Kozasa and Take. And Gunjiro kind of gloats to her saying, Priestess Shinobu's already dead and Kogenta and Tadafumi will be dead tomorrow. He threatens to kill Take, too, if she doesn't lead them to the statue. Yeah. And the reason he gloats is she is like, I'm not anyone important. I'm just a person who lives here. He's like, well, all right, that's fine. I believe you. But Priestess Shinobu's dead and Tadafumi's going to be dead tomorrow. And so is Kogenta. And she goes, what? (laughs) And he's like, ha ha, I knew it. So they follow her to the statue and they start attacking it with mallets, which just really aren't doing anything. And then someone comes forward with this giant metal stake and they hold it to his forehead and they slowly pound the stake into the statue's forehead. As they're doing this, Kozasa is praying for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And then the statue starts bleeding from the wound on his head. Yep. Uh Uh-huh. And wow, what a cool moment right there. It's such a cool image. And you would think that this would kill the statue, right? Like, you'd think that this would be... Because it's bleeding. It's obviously being hurt from this. You'd think it would kill the statue. No. (laughs) But he's a god, so... Exactly. It'll take more than that. Exactly. Suddenly, a storm starts, and the men start to run, and they're just basically all killed. One has something fall on him. Mm -hmm. A bunch of them die in a landslide as they're on the edge of this cliff, and the ground collapses out underneath them. And then they're swallowed by the earth. Like, yeah. They fall into this crevice that had opened up and the crevice closes around yeah. them. It's, yeah. <laughs> Daimajin does not mess around. And then we get some flashing lights. Kozasa 
hears Take yelling to be let down because he's tied up in a tree and she goes to help him and then she passes out without having gotten to him. So I want to go back to a couple things we talked about earlier. One, the whole god versus Daimajin, who's the one, who's the statue, who's the thing in the mountain. Sure. If the statue leaves, mm-hmm. doesn't that mean the thing under the mountain is going to come out now? Yeah. I don't think it's a physical thing. I think maybe if, if they are two different creatures, if it's the god and the Majin, I think the Majin is like a spirit inside of the statue and the statue oh. is like the god itself. That and, makes sense. I could see that. And if it, they are the same creature and... Just angering one brings the other out. Exactly. That makes sense. Kind of like a Jekyll and Hyde thing. Exactly. So it, I think it could be either one of those. I lean a little more towards the Jekyll and Hyde scenario. And then the other thing I was going to bring up is that they were saying since the beginning of the movie, 10 years earlier, the Diamond is going to come for you. The Diamond is going to come for you. You're making him angry with your evil deeds. Your selfish acts are going to anger the Daimajin. And he doesn't do anything until there's a stake in his head. Yeah. he He's like any god, right? They don't answer prayers immediately. They're pretty quiet. But once you... Put a stake in their head? Once you desecrate, you know, a, an important holy site or whatever, then, you know, lightning's going to strike. And lightning does strike very literally in this movie. Yeah, but the thing is... She keeps saying that the thing that will displease him is their evil deeds, mm. but he doesn't respond to the evil deeds. He responds to them personally attacking him. It seems like he doesn't care about the villagers. Yeah. He doesn't care about the evil deeds. He only cares once it affects him. Yeah. He's kind of a Greek god in that way. Yeah. Where he doesn't care at all about people, but he does care once they do something against him. I feel like we're supposed to believe the priestess. She has this insight that we're supposed to believe, but... He doesn't really seem to care about the evil part sure, of it. Sure, sure. But that's all I wanted to say. Now that we have the ability to speak about it. Yeah. He's he's a god of wrath, not a god of justice. So he only comes out after the bad deed is done? Exactly. He's like the cops. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So Kozasa wakes up from her faint. Take comes running up to her with water in his hands that he got for her from the river. And he says the rope just broke and he didn't get hurt. And he thinks that the Daimajin must have cut him down. I mean, how cute is that he just brought her water in his little cupped hands yeah he no he's pretty cute (laughs) kazasa finds her charm on the ground and then she goes up to the gods the statue of the god with the stake in its head that hasn't moved yet it's still a statue and she starts praying for the god to protect tadafumi and kogenta and then take comes up behind her and starts praying with her kazasa says that she can't offer anything but she offers for him to take her instead. And her, she, her brother's life for her own. And she asks if he'll help if she sacrifices herself. Yeah. I think this is kind of leading into that spiritual purity thing that you were talking about. She, She's very willing to sacrifice herself for the greater good. And cry. And cry. And faint. And faint. All things that... And beg. <laughs> yeah, like all women do, obviously. <laughs> I don't actually think that... I, I wanted to put that statement out there. <laughs> Tadafumi and Kogenta are being taken from a cell that they've been kept in and these crosses are being brought out it's a cross with like two yeah horizontal pieces on it Kozasa is wandering around at the top of the waterfall and she's about to jump off the cliff when the earth that's 
kind of in front of the statue. All we've seen up to this point is the top of the shoulders and the head of the statue, but the earth in front of it just collapses away and he starts to move and we get to see Daimajin come to life. Yeah. He like waves his hand in front of his face and becomes, he, his face transformed into the wrathful face. Like a jade green Oni face. Mm Mm-hmm. Not unlike in The Princess Diaries where (laughs) Anne Hathaway is playing with her fan. She's got a little smiley face and then she waves a fan. And when it comes away, she's got this, you know, dramatic crying face on. It's exactly the same. It is. I'm sure they were referencing Daimajin. (laughs) Um, So this is our first look at Daimajin, the the character. What do you... Well, first of all, we've described a color. We didn't really describe what he looks like. What does he look like? He is, he really does just look like an Oni face. He has this big rounded nose that kind of looks like an arrowhead. His eyebrows start really low over his eyes and then arch up like an S as they go towards the outside of his face. And he has this permanent scowl built into his face. His mouth is a little animalistic, almost like a muzzle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he's just basically wearing old like stone armor. Yeah. And I think the best part of this suit is the eyes. The fact that you can see the actor's eyes underneath just make him look so mad. And I don't think he ever blinks. I don't know if we see him blink, but they did a very good job of blending the mask into the eyes. It doesn't look like a mask sitting over a face because there's no like pocket around the eyes. There's no shadows around the eyes. The eyes are blended very well into the edges of the mask right there. Yeah. So Daimajin is uh, played by Chikara Hashimoto. Chikara Hashimoto is best known for... Gamera. I was expecting you to say samurai movies. <laughs> I didn't learn after all. I was just thinking maybe he was a suit actor in one of the Gamera things. Uh, well, he's not famous for either Gamera or samurai movies. Dang it. He was actually a baseball player. What? So to explain that, I need to talk about one other person that I haven't mentioned yet, which is the producer. The producer at Dae at the time, the main producer at Dae at the time, was Masaichi Nagata. Masaichi Nagata produced films from the 1940s until Dae's bankruptcy in 1971. He lived and died with the company. Basically. He served as president of Dae for a lot of that time. Uh, Well, that's why. So he was an important dude. He produced all the Gamera movies, the Daimajin movies, a bunch of other movies, including Ishiro Honda's Rashomon, which is a fantastic movie that you have not seen, and I will have you see it at some point. Kenji Mizuguchi's Ugetsu, which is a samurai movie, and Sancho the Bailiff, another samurai movie. He also owned a couple baseball teams. Ah, that's the connection. Which was apparently pretty common at the time for owners of japanese film studios they all owned a baseball team or two i mean random executives will just own sports teams yeah in america it's that's fair it's still a common practice today he owned the daimai orions which i keep reading as the daimai onions <laughs> um he owned the daimai orions which is the team that chikara hashimoto the suit actor for daimajin comes from how did the suit actor get to be so lucky? I I don't know the story. I wish I knew the story. 
Like, hey, boss, I know you own this film company on the side. That's your side job, right? So he he wasn't an active baseball player at the time. So that might be it. He had retired in 1958 with an injury. So I think maybe that was it. He stopped playing baseball in 1958 and then decided, hey, I want to be an actor. And his owner just, like, the owner of his old team just went for it. Yeah, why not? Maybe he had a, I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, I can't fault him. He did a very good job. Yes. He uh, is best known for his role in Daimajin. And he's also a uh, an actor that Bruce Lee meets in Fist of Fury. So he fought Samurai and Bruce Lee. I think he fought Bruce Lee. I wish there was a kaiju martial arts movie. Uh, there might be. Okay, it's going to be your job to go find us one, because I want to do a kaiju martial arts movie next. I'm Okay. Well, I don't know about next, but <laughs> Eventually. There's, there are, I think there are some that might qualify. So Kogenta and Tadafumi have been put up on crosses very kindly. You can clearly see they can pull their arms out at any point. It's very loose, but I'm sure that's just for the actor's comfort. Yeah. It, yeah. With practical effects, it's probably pretty hard to make it look like they are actually being tortured. Exactly. Without actually torturing them. Yes. They are about to stab Kogenta with a spear when Take comes running up saying, the mountain god has come alive. Samonosuke says, just kill him. Yeah. Tells them to kill Take when Kozasa comes up and tells Take to run. And this seems to be some sort of trigger. All the villagers start to rise up. Um, They come out with spears and swords and they're all attacking the guards who are out here to try to save Kogenta and Tadafumi who's kind of their last hope he's the person who could theoretically take over back from Samonosuke because he does have samurai blood exactly they are being led by the Hanabusa soldiers that were rescued by Motsuki earlier in the movie for this very effective and it's plot important revolts that happens. <laughs> Which gets put down in about two minutes. It's not even two minutes. Because a lot of the sold- of the Samonosuke guards have guns. Exactly. It's and solved immediately. they all brought swords to a gunfight. <laughs> Literally, yes. <laughs> so they are easily stopped. And so they're back to the scheduled events. So they're uh-huh. about to kill Tadafumi, who had been cheering on the uprising from his place on the cross so they're about to stab him through with a with a spear when there's storm clouds that start to roll in and we see this ball of light Mm -hmm. which isn't really explained at any other point it kind of looks like a comet that comes swirling around the area well we do see it later also oh i missed it this is just daimajin traveling Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, okay. we, we see it later when Darmajin leaves. See, I watched this movie and <laughs> two days ago. Yeah. And I still missed it. Well, I have seen this movie like four times, so. And then Daimajin comes walking through the gate they all just built. Uh-huh. The stake's still in his head. This, so we're, you're going to go into some detail about it, but this whole series of scenes is so cool. Samurai is basically, I think the Daimajin movies are predicated on the idea that it would be cool 
to see how people without guns and missiles fight a kaiju. It's kind of like all of the takes on cowboys versus zombies or cowboys versus aliens. Exactly. It's it's so cool to see them using mm-hmm. the technology of their time to try and fight this monster. It was a very good fight scene. Yes. So Daimajin takes his knife or takes his sword and he cuts down the guard tower with the guard still in it. And then as they fall to the ground, he crushes them. Bullets are just bouncing off of him. He walks up to Tadafumi and he just takes hold of the cross and he wiggles it around and then just kind of plops it over on its side (laughs) and just continues walking. Like I said, God of Wrath, not justice. (laughs) He is here to help them because that's what he was asked to do, but he's not going to do it nicely. (laughs) Just plops him over still on the cross. He's got very poor bedside manner. Somonosuke goes running into the castle, the inner gates, and has a group of his guards running with him. And as he runs through the gates, he says, um, close the gates, lock them up. And then, of course, Daimajin just collapses the gate. Yes. He closes the gate, stopping a bunch of his soldiers from getting through. Like, uh, it's a very... I feel like it's a very, like, zombie movie thing to happen. Yeah. Where you are closing the door and you're trapping the the healthy people in the room with the zombies so that you can get away from the zombies. Except this time the zombies are bigger than a building. <laughs> and already proved that they could just walk through gates. Exactly. It just happened. Exactly. So the samurai inside the inner gate start setting up this web of chains, like mm-hmm. these trip chains that they anchor to the poles on the buildings mm-hmm. to try and trap him and trip him. But he just walks through and drags the chains with him which causes all these support beams to start being knocked down mm-hmm. and dragged along behind him knocking more things down they start attacking him with catapults and burning carts of sticks that are on fire and then he crosses his arms in front of him to make like an x with his hands over his chest and then he uncrosses them real quick and puts out the fire with yep. his blast of wind yeah i don't think it's a blast of wind you think it's just magic he's controlling the fire Cool. We see him do this in later movies also. I like it. Forces of nature, like fire and wind, like he just controls that. He is a god, so that makes sense. Exactly. But he just slowly is coming at Samonosuke, like not hurrying in any sense, but he's this unstoppable force. Yep. And he's just stepping on guards as he goes and killing them on his way. And then he grabs Samonosuke. And walks with him. He walks by Kogenta, Tadafumi, and Kozasa, who are kind of off to the side just watching. Yeah. As he carries Samonosuke through the wreckage. He finds this these beams that have been broken off at the end, so they form a sort of cross yeah. with what's left of them. Just happens to look like a cross. Which is just perfect. And he holds Samonosuke up against the beams and he pulls the stake from his head and stabs Samonosuke through the chest with the stake that was used to stab him. And oh my gosh, it was such a great moment. It's so satisfying. It was just that perfect payoff that all the pain and suffering has led up to that just made the whole movie worth it. It's so good. (laughs) It's maybe my favorite villain death in a movie. Just the most ironic justice yeah it's perfect daimajin has completed the mission essentially right he's protected 
Tadafumi and he's exacted his revenge. And now he's just kind of going nuts. He's going after... He has been released. He's been released, yeah. He's going through the village and he's going after villagers now who are completely not the target. They're not... They're innocent. Tadafumi runs over to him and begs for him to stop. And he clutches on to Daimajin and gets dragged throughout the streets. Take then runs up and begs for Daimajin to stop. They both get knocked over. And Daimajin is about to step on them when Kozasa throws herself over them and the foot stops. And it's unclear because right as she does it, her bells ring. And it's unclear if he stops because of the bells. That was kind of what I was reading from it, actually. But then again, they say something at the end that kind of makes me think maybe it was her. It could have been her because she was the one who prayed for him to come out. And so he might be like tied to her in some way in this moment. But maybe the charms what gave her the ability to call on him in the first place. So the charm was given to her. The charm, her mom said the charm would protect her. Mm-hmm. And the only time anything bad happens to her in this movie is when the charm falls off. So I think the fact that she has the charm on again is stopping him from hurting her. But I think he listens to her because she was the one who like set him free. Yeah. And again, because she's willing to sacrifice herself. Yeah. She begs, as you just said, she begs for him to stop and then says that she'd be willing to sacrifice herself. But also she threw herself on top of Tadafumi and Take. So very literally is throwing herself in the way to try and save them. Yeah. No, you're totally right. Daimajin listens to her and like puts his foot down and then he turns back into statue form. He puts his hand, waves his hand over his face. And his face goes back to being the kind of roughly cut. Exactly. Stone face. He looks just like the statue did before. And then we see the light from before leave the statue, fly back towards the mountain. See, that's where I missed it. Yeah. And then the statue crumbles into dust or a pile of dirt i guess do you think he leaves dirt behind every time he trans like he moves off like his spirit is going to inhabit other rocks somewhere yeah it's like how a fly barfs every time it starts flying what yeah did you not know this no gross flies they it's something about like the velocity of them suddenly taking off makes them throw up anything in their stomach and so they have metabolized really quick but yeah every time a fly lands on you and then flies away it barks on you. Gross. Why would you ruin my life like that? <laughs> Just like Daimajin. Um, but you missed the last part, the most important part of the end of the movie. I, would, I didn't get there yet. <laughs> Tadafumi says that the Majin was touched by Kazusa's tears and disappeared. And then Kazusa faints. Again, she's so innocent, pure, above mortal concerns that... Or not above mortal concerns, but she's she's so innocent and pure and just the most selfless person that her tears are magical and she can sway gods. And then, of course, she faints and because she, she can't have real power. Yeah, she faints because she's a woman. Well, because she's put up on this pedestal, which isn't true power. It's the power that other people place in her because of how they view her. Sure. Yeah, you're right. Because even she didn't have power over the Daimajin. He just chose to listen to her. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And then that's the end of the movie. 
Which does make me glad, again, that they put in the priestess as a very strong female character to kind of balance it a little bit more. Definitely. But I really like this movie. As much as I keep bringing it back to that thing and strong female characters are usually a big part of why I like movies or they are always a good extra. Strong female characters are always a thing that kind of pushes a movie over the top for me. But... I really love this movie. The Priestess was such a cool character to me. I want to watch it again right now. Well, you're in luck. (laughs) There are two more movies from Dry Magine, so this is not the last we will see. But do they have badass priestess in it? A bad patootie priestess? I don't. I do not recall. In fact, that was going to be my first question to you. What do you guess that the other two movies are like? Since they came out so quickly after the first, I have to think that they were probably worked on by a lot of the same people in the background. Sure. Which makes me think they probably are very similar. They have probably the same quality since they came out immediately after they were probably being worked on at the same time. Sure. And I imagine they're probably very similar in tone. Yeah. Probably a lot of revenge stories. Sure. Yeah. That's kind of his whole thing. He's got a revenge. What can you tell me about the sequels without spoiling them for me? They follow, they like to follow the same structure. 90% buildup of evil things, 10% payoff. Definitely that. But also, bad samurai takes over village and village has Daimajin come and save him. Got it. But the the details are all very, very different. And the Daimajin in this movie, they don't take place in the same place, so... Daimajin obviously is worshipped in a lot of places, or the three movies are not actually canonical with each other, or something like that. Mm-hmm. The third movie we'll see when we, whenever we see it, it gets a little, a little weird. My other question for you is, who do you think would win in a fight, Godzilla or Daimajin? Remember, the Daimajin is very small compared to Godzilla. Daimajin is small. But he has more powers than Godzilla does, and he's a god. He's a god. He can get stabbed through the head and be fine. Yeah. And just a little annoyed. Yeah. And can split the earth open. So that makes me think Daimajin would win just because of attrition. Like, he would just outlast Godzilla, and then as soon as the moment was right, he would strike. I kind of had the same feeling, yeah. Because Godzilla is still, at the end of the day, an animal. Yeah. And Daimajin is a god. Yes. No, I agree. With all that implies. I agree completely. So that was Daimajin. I love it. Who do you recommend this movie to? Anyone who likes samurai movies should watch Daimajin. For sure. I don't necessarily think it's the best samurai movie out there. No, but it was... It had a lot of the energy that you would want out of a samurai movie. It has the... The honor and the purity of their mission. And it's also got the, like, the drama of a samurai movie down. Like, the familial drama. Like, my fam must, you know, fight you for my family and all that stuff. But I would say that samurai movies, from my experience, are a lot like cowboy movies in that you have the main character or characters have this absolute heroic mission that they are always absolutely on the side of the angels. Yeah, maybe. And this one, I think, builds it up the same way. Definitely. Definitely in this one. I feel like there's probably some samurai movies that don't have that, but... 
Not all. I just think that's, that's... A trend. Yes, exactly. That's a a theme to a lot of samurai movies from my experience. Yeah. My very limited samurai experience. I mean, you haven't even seen Zatoichi. <laughs> Neither have I. Yeah, who do you recommend it for? I think it's for people who enjoy movies like, again, Taken and John Wick, but also people who like movies like My Cousin Vinny. Any movie with a, that you're willing to sit through 90% torture just for that 10% payoff. Sure. Because that, to me, is always worth it. Sure, yeah. Oh, the the build-up to a... A fantastic ending. Yeah, yeah. The, to the most competent characters in the movie suddenly coming in. Yeah. 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 No, I agree. So, yeah. Daimajin. I rate it 10 out of 10. Yeah, I agree. This is why I wanted this before Gamera. Maybe 9 out of 10, because I gotta kind of work on their female roles a little bit, but... Sure. Still very good. I, no. It doesn't detract from it too, uh, too much for me. Nothing's perfect. If you guys want to keep get in contact with us, uh, once again, our email is kaijuislandpodcast at gmail.com. And our Twitter is at islandkaiju. Our intro and outro are Manga Maniac by Olive Musique. And again, thanks for listening. And let's all fight bravely as a team. I don't remember how the song goes. <laughs>